Hey, welcome to session 165 of Scanner School, where we teach you everything to know about the scanner radio hobby. Today's podcast is sponsored by this month's webinar, Why Every Scanner User Needs an SDR, the number one underrated tool that should be in your setup. This free live webinar will be February 23rd, 2021 at 8 p.m. Eastern U.S. time. Virtual seats are limited, and you can sign up at scannerschool.com slash webinar. If you're listening to this after the webinar date, you can catch the replay using the same link. Again, scannerschool.com slash webinar. All notes from today's podcast can be found on our website at scannerschool.com slash session 165. Before we start this week's podcast, I'd like to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Patreon is a month-to-month sponsorship platform. We have three different support tiers, each with different benefits. But the most valuable tier is our $5 a month tier. This equates to sponsoring the podcast for about a dollar per episode. Now, not only do our $5 Patreon supporters receive the podcast early, but they also receive a commercial-free version of the podcast delivered directly to their podcast player. Some may say that the included squelchy sticker pack that is mailed to your home is the best benefit of the $5 level, but I think it's the community or the club that is growing at this level. You see, we meet once a month on Zoom, and we have a roundtable discussion about scanning, ask questions, offer advice. Some of the members are answering other people's questions, and we just talk with our fellow scanner school classmates. This is an exclusive group for our $5 Patreon members. Now, again, if all this wasn't enough at that level, you'll also receive discounts to upcoming Scanner School courses and offerings. Now, you can help support Scanner School by going to www.scannerschool.com Patreon or www.scannerschool.com support. Now, I'd like to thank all of our Patreon supporters at all levels, and they are Blurpy Benner, Brian King, Buzz Gold, Chris Paris, Craig Harper, Dan, Danny Crotty, Ed Walsh, Eddie Kay, Edward Bramblett, Guy Lee, James Felling, James Bruder, Jeff Block, Jenny Taylor, Jim Heinrich, John Goldenberg, Ken Newberry, Kevin Zwicky, Lenny Bauer, Les Stevenson, Mark Beebe, Michael Kroger, Paul Teal, Raymond Hill, Richard Armstrong, Robert, Robert Kassler, Ronnie Box, Sal Marandola, Tim Mazza, Todd Glendie, and William R. Can. Now let's start the podcast. Welcome to The Scanner School, a podcast dedicated to the scanner radio hobby. Class is about to begin. Here is your host, Phil Lichtenberger. Welcome to Scanner School. This podcast is here to teach you everything to know about the scanner radio hobby. My name is Phil Lichtenberger, and my amateur radio call sign is W2LIE. Now, today's podcast is sponsored by our Patreon supporters. Thank you all for your continued support and by my company. East Coast Pagers, your emergency alerting specialist. You can find East Coast Pagers online at eastcoastpagers.com. If this is your first week for joining us for class or this is your weekly listener, welcome to this week's podcast. Make sure you click that subscribe button right now in your podcast player of choice. Today, we are talking about software-defined radios. Again, yes, SDRs. And again, we're talking about software-defined radios because of our upcoming webinar. But what is a software-defined radio? Well, software-defined radio means that all of the magic that happens inside of the hardware part of the radio is now handled by a computer. Your hardware, the physical hardware, is now just an interface between your computer and the RF environment. So that's not to say that there isn't some circuitry inside that piece of hardware but it doesn't do the traditional functions 
that old school scanners and radios do. For example, the hardware, an SDR, doesn't care if you want to monitor AM, FM, or some sort of digital modulation. It doesn't even care if you want to do PL codes or DPL codes or NAC codes. It is transparent. The only limitation on the hardware you buy is the frequency range and the amount of RF it can digest at the same time. So how do these differ from computer-controlled radios of yesterday? Well, computer-controlled receivers were full-on radios. Their design dictated everything the receiver was capable of doing. Your computer was just the user interface to that radio. For example, an ICOM PCR100 was a popular computer-controlled receiver. In fact, it was probably my very first computer-controlled receiver. It operated from 10 kilohertz to 1.3 gig. And I quickly found out that the issue was it didn't have sideband on it. So there was no way to monitor any amateur radio or shortwave signals. Out of the box, it supported AM and FM and wide FM. And it supported CTCSS. But that's where it stopped. You couldn't do DCS on a PCR 100. You couldn't do sideband, CW, digital modes, right? And it was serial. It didn't even operate over USB. The software that was available for the PCR 100 from ICOM was good enough to get you going. Now, there was third-party software out there that worked a little bit better. But again, I mean, it was Windows 3.1.1 or Windows 95 software. I believe it was Windows 95. It's old, right? It's, it's dated at this point. You can still get the software for it, but you needed hardware to give you any type of changes in this setup. So then eventually ICOM released the PCR 1000. Now, the 1000 was still a serial-based receiver, but it allowed you to monitor upper and lower sideband AM, FM, wide FM, and even CW. So if you were in HF operations, you'd want to upgrade from the PCR 100 into the PCR 1000. Now again, I got one of those as well. Eventually, ICOM would release the PCR 1500, which was an upgraded interface from the serial world to USB, finally. It also added in DCS decoding, as well as some wider frequency ranges. The final release in the series, though, was the PCR 2500, which allowed for P25 and digital voice using optional cards. Okay. Again, the PCR 2500 also allowed you to buy a remote head for it so you can control the PCR 2500 from a head as opposed to being headless and being controlled via software. Now, other popular hardware out there that was uh, WinRadio, which was a card that would go actually inside your, your computer. And Opticom was very popular. Opticom would make black boxes as well as add-on boards to some Radio Shack scanners. And again, the software out there was DOS-based and Probe was a pretty cool piece of software. But again, you were still limited by what the actual hardware, the receiver itself, was designed to do. Right? You couldn't you can manipulate the receiver, but you could never do more than it was designed to do out of the box. Now, this is what makes SDR much better than computer control receivers. The limiting factors through your software-defined radio is basically the usable frequency range and the bandwidth or the range of frequencies that it can monitor at one time. 
So for example, my go-to SDR when I am introducing SDR to somebody for the first time is a Nuelec SDR dongle. And you can monitor from 25 megahertz up to around the area of 1.7 gig or 1700 megahertz. It has a sample rate or a visible view of about 2.4 megahertz. The RTL SDR V3 is about the same price and it gives you about the same specs. Okay. However, if you upgrade it though, and now you can spend quite a bit of money, you're looking at the AirSpy R2. And that can monitor the same frequency range, but it has a sample rate of 10 megahertz. So what does this all mean? This means, for example, if you're monitoring, say, 455 megahertz on the AirSpy, you could see on a waterfall display in your software 450 to 460 megahertz. That's your 10 megahertz. That's your that's your sample. But a Nuelec, if you were tuned to 455, would give you pretty much 454 to 456. That's it. Okay? So more money gets you better receivers. But again, just to get started and get your feet wet, and that's as I say either you could spend and buy a couple of SDRs, right? We'll get there eventually. But let's talk about the history. Well, how did SDRs start and why? What makes them so cool today, right? How did we get here? An SDR receiver has come a very long way since they were first hacked into existence. Now, again, if you listen to, I believe it was Podcast 61, that was about two years ago. Yes, this is the same history lesson you learned in that episode. Now, I can't recall how many years it's been since I've actually picked up my very first SDR receiver, but it's got to be close to 10 years since I've recorded this. And what do I mean when they were hacked into existence? Now, the original SDR USB sticks were basically DVB-T USB tuners. They were TV tuners that operated in the, the DVB protocol. Now, they came with... The USB stick, they came with remote controls so you could change the channels, and they came with a antenna. Somebody realized, though, that you could tap into the chip on these receivers. These, these receivers had a RTL 2830U chip, I believe is what it was, or something like that. Even though it was a, an E4000, or, or it's so long ago, but you know these numbers still still embedded in my head. But they realized that if you had one of these chips, you could tap into it, and then open up the receiver to monitor any frequency band. It was really, really cool. So again, many of us purchased these E4000s. It was, it was an R820T dongle, and they also had that RTL 2830 chipset. And I bought way more than these than I should have. And the reason why I bought a lot of these at the time was because I was afraid that somebody was going to figure out that we were able to monitor frequencies that in the United States were blocked from commercial-grade scanners. And they were going to put a stop to this. And I knew that this was pretty cool, so I bought a pile of these things to use. I don't really use them anymore because of the newer hardware that's out there. It's so much better than the hardware from back when this started happening. So the reason is, is that these older USB sticks used to drift. They didn't have good T TXOs in them. The oscillators in them, right? They, they, they would warm up. They were plastic. They were bulky. When they would warm up, the frequencies would start to drift, and you had to compensate for that. Each dongle also was independent. Each had its own correction value. You had to keep track of all these things. The software also wasn't as user-friendly as it is today, and we're going to talk about that. But again, going back to the USB hardware, these sticks were big. They were bulky. They were plastic. 
they needed pigtails or a USB hub that had spacing on it in order to plug multiples in. And they had an MCX connector on it, which you find me a piece of scanner radio hardware that's available today that has MCX on it. You can't, right? Our hobby uses BNC or SMA, right? Or typically when you look at the antenna side of things, you can probably get PL259 or end connectors. But really, who's using MCX? Nobody's using MCX here, right? So you need adapters for that as well. The hardware of yesterday has been replaced by new hardware, which makes it so much more enjoyable to get started with SDRs. Now, let's talk about some common myths when it comes to software-defined radios, since we're kind of getting down that path anyway. So myth number one, they're difficult to set up, right? This used to be the case. But newer hardware is more mature, the software is more mature, and you can get set up with an FD, SDR receiving in just an afternoon. Not morning and afternoon, right? Just within a few hours. It's not as difficult as it used to be. Myth number two, using an SDR requires advanced knowledge of RF and how things work. No, not at all. Many people have gotten into the SDR side of the hobby because this was a, a hack-a-day type of thing, right? This was something that was presented to them in a computer environment that they could tap into resources and learn more about machining and machining languages and things that happen over the air. This had led those people into the RF world and getting into scanners and understanding how antennas work to how to improve their setups. So you don't need a background or a degree in RF to understand how to use software-defined radios, which leads us to myth number three. You need to have computer skills in order to use an SDR, which again is absolutely not true. Most software today is Windows-based and can easily be executed and installed via just an icon, just like every other software that you would install on your Windows computer. Now, some software does require some setups and some command line configurations, but once you're set up and good to go, again, it's just double-clicking on the icon. Now, again, I have a training course, which we'll plug at the end here, that will guide you through this entire process and take the pain out of it for you, okay? It's not as difficult as many people think. Myth number four, this will only run on Windows computer. No, not at all. While a lot of the software is built around Windows, SDR hardware can operate on Linux, Mac, headless machines such as Raspberry Pis. There's even software that runs on Android. So if you have an Android phone or even a uh, tablet, you can use SDRs on that as well. Myth number five, it requires a powerful computer. Again, not even the case here. Many are using older computers to run software-defined radios, especially if you fall back to, say, Linux or even Raspberry Pis, because Raspberry Pis aren't full-blown computers, right? They, they are limited. And in fact, I am running SDR software on a laptop computer I bought about five years ago for about $300, okay? It's not a crazy machine. Yeah, I might have upgraded the RAM in there, but it's still older hardware by today's standards. Myth number six, SDRs are expensive. Now, while some advanced SDR hardware will set you back a few hundred dollars, getting started will cost you less than a dinner date at your local diner. An entry-level SDR USB stick can be purchased from Amazon for about $30 with the antennas, 
Okay. Myth number seven. The hardware is garbage. Okay, true. The first generation SDR hardware was modified DVB T USB receivers. That hardware was garbage, right? But those days are gone. Again, the newer USBs you can buy for $30 completely blow out of the water all of the old USB sticks. Like I said, I, I bought more of the DVB T dongles than I should have, and I don't even use them anymore. I've got a pile of Nuelec SDR dongles, RTL SDR V3 dongles. I've got Air Spies, SDR Plays, even Hack 1RF boxes, okay? And I'm sure eventually I'll buy even more SDRs. But I'm invested in this. This is where the scanner radio hobby is headed. So much so that even commercial providers such as ICOM is adding SDRs into their HF rigs. And even Uninin, right, is using SDRs as the backbone or the engine that drives the SDS 100 and 200 receivers or scanners, okay? Telling you, SDRs are the future when it comes to the scanner radio hobby. Now, when we come back on the side of the break, I'm going to explain to you why you need an SDR and what you can do with one and how to get you set up. We'll be right back. Did you know there are ways to help support the Scanner School podcast that doesn't take any time or any extra money on your part? If you go to scannerschool.com support, you will find we have several ways that you can continue to do your online shopping and help support us. We have links to Amazon. If you click on our link before you go to Amazon, anything you buy from there, will help support Scanner School. Now, if you're in a market for a brand new scanner, an antenna, other accessories, we have links to Scanner Master, where you can not only purchase a scanner and accessories, but you can also get your radio programmed. And by clicking on our link before you buy, you are helping to support the podcast. Now, if you're in a market for software, we have links to Butel. And if you want something new to you, we also have links to eBay. Again, just go to scannerschool.com slash support before you make your purchases and you are helping to support Scanner School at no additional cost to you. This session of Scanner School is sponsored by East Coast Pagers. Now, East Coast Pagers is one of my online companies and we are a Unication, Apollo, and Swiss phone dealers serving the North American market. Now, if you're looking for a personal use pager or one for your department, we can get you a quote at the very best prices. So why does a company like East Coast Pagers support Scanner School? I think that every Scanner Radio user should at least put one pager in their collection of radios. The reason why is very simple. It frees up your scanner to just do scanning, and then you have one radio that's dedicated to your local fire activity. Now with a pager, you can have voice storage. You can do tone outs. You can keep it silent. You can go back the next day and listen to what you've missed overnight. It's more than you can do with an out-of-the-box scanner. And with today's pagers having multiple frequencies and even having multiple channels in a scan list, like the Unication G1 can do eight channels in a scan list. It has 64 memory channels, and out of the box, it comes with 11 minutes of stored voice and a desktop charger. The G2s to G5s, they do P25 phase one and phase two in simulcast environments with stored voice, paging on conventional NP25. Oh, and they're upgradable too to DMR type one and type two. They are more rugged than today's consumer-based scanners. And with a pager like a Swiss phone S-Quad, you won't even realize you're wearing one. It'll help keep you informed as to what's going on in your neighborhood. So again, eastcoastpagers.com or contact me directly, phil at eastcoastpagers.com.
Do you have a new scanner? You're having problems understanding how it works? Maybe you're new to the entire Home Patrol database of programming and you can't figure out Sentinel. Did you get a new SDR and you're trying to figure out how to install it? Or you want to learn how to use Unitrunker, DSD+, maybe set up a Pioware, or even just make some changes and you don't understand how this system and the equipment works? The podcast might be great for you, but maybe you need a little bit more of one-on-one help with setting something up. I'm available to do just that with you with our private tutoring sessions. You can book me online by going to scannerschool.com slash consulting for a one-hour session. And it's great because we can actually share computer screens remotely, and I can guide you through step-by-step as if I was sitting right next to you. So again, book me for an hour at scannerschool.com slash consulting for your scanner radio one-on-one tutoring session. National Communications Magazine is your personal library of scanner, CB, GMRS, FRS, MURS, and two-way radio articles written by the best minds in the business over the past three decades. Your NatCom personal online access account allows you to download the newest issues of America's Hobby Radio Magazine, as well as back issues too. So visit natcommag.com to download your free sample issues and sign up today. That's natcommag.com for National Communications Magazine. Okay, so why do you need an SDR? Well, software-defined radios are more flexible than a typical scanner radio. They are also much, much cheaper depending on the models you buy. Now, can you turn that $30 USB SDR into an SDS-100 or 200? Yes, you can. It's going to cost you a little bit more than 30 bucks, but you can build something on your own in an afternoon that will actually put the SDS 100 and 200 to shame. I'm telling you, these things are amazing. So what do you do with an SDR? Well, one of the cool things about it is you can do spectrum sweeping, which means you can see the RF spectrum around your center channel. This allows you to discover more active frequencies in your area, discover more trunk systems, discover a whole world that wasn't something that you were picking up on your scanner. Now, again, you can hit the search bar on your scanner, but there's something different about seeing things. There's also what's called a waterfall display. And what that allows you to do is see the spectrum over time. See, sometimes you might just get a blip or a quick transmission. Well, you'll see that blip or transmission on the waterfall display because the waterfall is basically what's going on as time progresses. And... You can then go back there and sit there and wait and listen to see what that signal was. You may find out it's a rest channel for a a DMR repeater. You may find out if you're into mill air monitoring, you may find out it's an active frequency for military aviation. Because again, these guys, they key up and they're gone immediately, basically, right? But to see that blip on a waterfall display will tell you, hey, hey, that was an active frequency. I may want to write that down and put that in my scanner. Right, It helps you see the RF landscaping. SDRs are multifunctional, and we'll go into that in one minute. But they open up receiving possibilities that you can never get out of a production scanner. And the software that's available for an SDR is forever evolving. 
I mean, it seems like at least once a month I'm seeing, hey, we updated this software package or this is new or this is now gone from alpha alpha to beta. You know, the people are just contributing and building these software packages. I mean, even Broadcastify is using an ingest server, which means they're listening to every single talk group basically on a trunk system and feeding that into the Broadcastify ingest server. How do you think they're doing that? Software to find receivers and a bunch of volunteers who are setting up receive stations. So we're getting into the next topic ahead of time, but what can you do with an SDR? Well, besides what we just talked about, a lot of this, again, depends on the hardware and the software you're using, but you're not limited to AM and FM radio broadcasts, shortwave radio listening, monitoring P25, DMR, NXDN, DSTAR, Fusion, and other digital modes. You can do trunking with the proper software. You can monitor modes that aren't even supported in today's consumer scanner radios, such as Tetra and MPT1327. Oh, yeah, and we did say Yesu Fusion and DSTAR earlier, which, again, no scanner in the market will allow you to monitor those. You can do P25 simulcast LSM on the cheap. These work in that kind of environment. Again, we said you can look at waterfall displays. You can log and record all of your transmissions as well, depending on the software you're using. You can decode images off of the geosynchronous NOAA GOES weather satellites. Many people have modified Wi-Fi antennas and hooked up an SDR to those to just download pictures off of the satellite system. You can even decode data off of the orbiting weather satellites. And again, that's not limited to NOAA weather at this point too because other countries have satellites that are circling the globe as well. One of my favorite things to do is you can download slow scan television signals. Now again, slow scan TV is something that the International Space Station from time to time will transmit. And even some shortwave radio broadcasts will transmit some slow scan TV signals with their broadcasts. And again, they're cool to, to see because these are images that are being downloaded over RF. Okay. Now, there's one guy on Twitter I'm following. If you want to check him out, he's at USA Satcom. But he's built a couple of dishes and he's got some crazy setups over here. But he is monitoring downlink signals from man made space objects. What we talk about man made space objects? How about the Mars rover, for example? Or the new Chinese satellite that is just getting into orbit now in Mars. Or even, it's amazing the stuff this guy is pulling in now. Is he decoding the raw data? Not necessarily. But he is showing he's receiving the signal. And again, over a waterfall display, he is showing that he's picking up over time the Doppler effect as the as this thing is orbiting around whatever planet it's orbiting around or object is, is, is orbiting around. You can see the orbit on the signal. It is it is absolutely amazing. Again, I'll put a link to him in the in description, but it's USA Satcom on Twitter. Well, an even easier setup, though, a little bit closer to Earth, you can monitor airplanes overhead with ADSB, UAT here in the States, and even monitor ACARS messages. Again, those are pretty cool because I was just monitoring those. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of information that's not even broadcast over the air that these planes are receiving. You can even monitor AITS beacons from ships if you're close enough into a waterway. 
And again, that's like radar for the for the seas. <laughs> so it is it is really cool. And this is again tip of the iceberg stuff here, right? Because there's some projects out there where people are building passive radars to see how much traffic is in an area. They're discovering how keyless entries or key fobs on your vehicle communicate with the vehicles and unlock your doors. They're monitoring remote tire sensors, remote sensors even around your house, such as wireless weather stations. Again, the list goes on and on. These 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 SDRs, again, the hackaday thing, right? So there's there's a little bit of like, you know, the computer geek involved here as well as the RF spectrum. And it's a beautiful marriage of these two hobbies, but also with scanning. I mean, this is, again, I've said it before, but I think SDRs are where things are going to go in the future. So how do you get started with a software-defined radio if you haven't gotten started yet? Again, for about 30 bucks, you could pick up a SDR USB stick and be off to the races. Besides the $30 USB stick, what else do you need? Well, you'll need a computer of some sort, right? The nice thing about an SDR is that it works on multiple platforms. Again, we discussed this before in the myths section. You can use it on Windows, Mac, Raspberry Pi, Linux, okay? The beginner software that I always recommend is free. It's called SDR Sharp. And in my free training class, this is the software I start you off with. Again, if you want to check that out, courses.scannerschool.com. And again, if you want to buy the hardware too, we'll get a link in the session notes for the hardware. Once you've got SDR Sharp installed, you're able to tune into local FM broadcast stations, some aviation, even local conventional analog frequencies like the NOAA Weather Broadcast. Once you've hit those set those goals, I'll show you how to get into the digital reception using your SDR. Now, again, you can start doing this with a free download, getting the DSD Plus public release. Again, in my course, I show you how to set up SDSD Plus on your SDR and how to get everything set up and going. Now, again, DSD Plus has got two flavors. They've got a, a public release, which is limited, and they've got a fast lane release. And I, I recommend purchasing the fast lane release. A lot of the stuff we do in the SDR world is done in fast lane. But again, just to get your feet wet, you can do the public release. And again, I'll show you how to get from one into the other in the free training course. Now, if you want to monitor and watch trunk systems, Again, DSD Plus Fastlane. You can even use Unitrunker. Now, again, Unitrunker is one of the first pieces of software that I install on my computers when I'm setting up an SDR battle station, so to speak. Again, Unitrunker is free. And there's other pieces of software that are semi-new to the environment, such as SDR Trunk. And that one is kind of what the whole ingest server is kind of operating on as well. There's even Trunk Recorder which records all the talk groups that come in. And if you set up a web interface using Trunk Recorder, then you can set up and monitor just one talk group or record talk groups. Again, the list goes on, and it's really crazy what is available to you when you start setting up software-defined radios. Now, again, if you want to learn more about a software-defined radio and how to use it and why you need one and why it's so underrated, I think you kind of got your understanding why things are underrated here. I'm inviting you to our brand new workshop for February, scannerschool.com slash webinar. This webinar, why every scanner user needs an SDR, the number one underrated tool that should be in your setup, again, is a free webinar. You can sign up at scannerschool.com slash webinar. 
If you're listening to this in the future, again, the same URL will take you to the replay, scannerschool.com slash webinar. You can also sign up for our free SDR training course right now by going to courses.scannerschool.com. So in closing, how did I do? Let me know. You can leave a comment in the session notes at scannerschool.com slash session 165. Don't forget to check out our Zello Nets, which I've been kind of running every other week or so. <laughs> I'm getting a little lax on that. Uh, you go to scannerschool.com slash Zello for information on how to join our weekly net. Now, again, please remember to subscribe to the podcast by clicking the subscribe button on your podcast player of choice or by going to our homepage and signing up for our newsletter on the front page of the website, scannerschool.com. And again, if you sign up for the weekly newsletter, you'll receive scanner radio tips and podcast reminders delivered right to your email inbox. And again, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with friends. That is the fastest way to help us grow and also help somebody else in the scanner radio hobby. And that is my goal, to help as many people as I can with the scanner hobby. So remember, sign up for our live webinar at scannerschool.com slash webinar. We'll catch you all next week. My name is Phil Lichtenberger, and this is Scanner School, where we teach you everything to know about the scanner radio hobby. 73.